Welcome to episode 19 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Today's guest is fiercely committed to helping people come alive through the pursuit of big ideas. She does this through her business as a career and business coach and international speaker, helping people move beyond burnout to build sustainable, dynamic careers they love. She's the author of Pivot, the only move that matters is your next one. With two years at a technology startup as the first employee, over five years at Google on the training and career development teams, she combines her love of technology with her superpower of organizing information to help clients through big transitions. Please join me in welcoming Jenny Blake. Thank you so much, Robbie. It's an honor to be here. Jenny, thank you so much for joining me from your office in New York. So I want to just jump right in. I know my audience will be curious to hear a little bit more about you and your day to day, but this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks. So tell me, What does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? In some ways, I have been leading my whole life. I loved playing business as a kid instead of playing uh, family or marriage. Yeah, I was always starting businesses. And I started my first babysitting company when I was 11, a family newspaper. Even before that, I liked, I also liked playing school with my brother and I would make worksheets for him to fill out, which is not unlike what I do now <laughs> with Pivot and those related career stuff, worksheets. And then, and then of course, my definition, I was the editor of my editor in chief of my high school newspaper. So I had always gravitated toward creating things and liking that feeling of leading a team. And I learned a lot. I worked at the startup, as you mentioned, and then at Google for five and a half years as the company grew from 6,000 to 36,000. So there I learned how to be a people manager and this different side of leadership. Ultimately, I realized that leadership for me was much more intimate, that I didn't want to continue to climb the ranks at Google. Instead, I would rather work As a solopreneur, as you mentioned, my office in New York, which we were joking before we hit record, is also my gym, living room, and bedroom (laughs) (laughs) because I'm in a studio here. That leadership for me now is about authentically sharing what is true for me in any given moment, whether I'm launching a book or trying to get a book deal or navigating my own dips and uncertainties. And then when I'm able to figure things out, I enjoy simplifying complexity. And when I'm able to do that, then I share those resources. And so leadership to me is both sides of that. Having innovative ideas and contributing really meaningful, as original as possible work to the world and sharing the authentic experience of doing that. And that's how I define it. That's wonderful. You know, your early memories of of taking leadership remind me of, um, I haven't really talked about this, but I, I started selling uh, candy, you know, like most kids do in yes, school. Yes, I did that too, yeah. But I actually, that, that morphed over the years into a bagel business where I was selling breakfast sandwiches to my classmates. And um, yeah, I was making them at night and then heating them up in the morning and selling them at school. And the guidance oh. counselor... Uh, actually ordered them for me for their guidance office like breakfast meeting. <laughs> like That's they, amazing. They just thought it was so entrepreneurial that they 
they weren't instead of like scolding me <laughs> for breaking the rules they're like that's great how do we order <laughs> so yeah that's so awesome Leadership and now com- you would have been a candidate for shark tank see <laughs> right <laughs> that would have been the Bagel next bites. thing <laughs> yeah exactly oh too bad we lived in the wrong era i guess so yeah. what are you finding most rewarding about the work that you're doing now I love being able to be my own boss. I mean, that's that's the most fulfilling on a day-to-day basis of just being able to set my own schedule, go with my energy. I talk a lot about systems at the intersection of mind, body, and business. That's the broader scope. And so the physical and and mindfulness practices are just as important to me as what I'm doing in my business. But beyond that, what's incredibly rewarding is being able to walk side by side with a community and share what I'm learning along the way. And then to know that it makes an impact. I'm already starting to hear from people who've read Pivot, which is really exciting. To know that it's helped somebody through their own transition is so meaningful to me. It's why I get up every day. It's why I'm on this planet. And ultimately, everything I do is to that aim, to be as helpful as possible to as many people as I'm able. So Jenny, how did you come to the idea of this this book? I had been struggling. Every few years, I was hitting a pivot point, which I didn't have the language in that moment, and it felt like a crisis. And whether it was leaving the startup or two years in thinking I needed to quit Google or leaving Google, then two years after that, almost getting down to zero in my own business, self-employed now. And at that point, when I didn't have a paycheck anymore to fund this question, what's next? I got really sad and frustrated and angry. I had read hundreds of business and finance and personal development books, and none of them were working. None of them were helping me get out of this pickle of defining what's next. I wrote a book called Life After College uh, that is the reason I left Google, but I didn't want to talk about that for the rest of my career. Mm -hmm. And so I paused my business to figure that out, but I was spinning in circles. And so in that moment, I decided I'm either crazy, there's something wrong with me, and I'm destined to go through a midlife or quarterlife crisis every two years, or this state is accelerating, that given all the changes in our economy, we're all going to be having to ask and answer what's next more frequently. And as I started to do research for the book, I realized it was really the latter that was true. And I had, you know, I did career development and career coaching and manager training at Google. So this is something, it's not like I was starting from scratch either. And as I started to look back and reverse engineer what had really worked and interview people, I came up with this four-stage pivot method and that in applying it, I ended up tripling my income that year. So going from zero, almost having to fold my business to that. And that's when I felt like, okay, I I can share this. There's real useful stuff here. We can stop calling career change a crisis and see pivots as often a product of our success and that there's nothing wrong with them. And you can get better at pivot as a mindset and a method. And that let's all just get used to the fact that we're going to be doing this more frequently now. And that's okay. I think I've heard you say, if change is the only constant, let's get better at it. Yes. (laughs) I realize that change and dealing with change is a concept as old as time. I mean, the Tao Te Ching is all about how to deal with change and uncertainty. Mm -hmm. That text is 4,000 years old. But why are we still struggling with this? And I realize that it's because our economy has changed so drastically that even if we had to come to grips with change and uncertainty in other areas of our life. Now career and business is feeling a a similar sense of pressure. And a lot of people have anxiety because it affects our income and how we pay for our lives. 
when I was 20, my dad had read an article in like the Sunday paper and he gave me this advice based on that, that he said, in the next 20 years, you're going to have four careers. And which was strange coming from him because he, you know, got into a career in his early 20s and he was still there through his 50s, you know, like that's what he did. And it was so helpful for me to have that framework that actually the decision to leave my full-time career and focus on my business, which had been a side project, in some ways I joked that I had I had to do it in order to make the four <laughs> in because I was almost 40 at the time. I was like, I got to do it now. But I think you're right that, that that statistics probably accelerated. So for a lot of people, it's, it's going to be more than four. And also technology and I don't know, the professions that are out there that just don't even exist right now that we could be specializing in in five years or 10 years. So Exactly. There are so many people who say what I want to do doesn't exist yet. And even if they don't realize that, that's the truth for so many of us. Yeah. Even those who are self-employed. That's we have amazing. no clue what things are going to look like <laughs> in five years. Well, yeah, so I actually, oh yeah, go ahead. I, I, that actually brings me to my next sort of question with for you then. What is challenging about the work that you do and how do you overcome it? One thing I find challenging is planning my work and my business and my cash flow to be constant, as constant as possible, even when I personally am going through ups and downs. Part of what led me to that zero moment in my business was I had a really tough year. 2013, I call it the apocalypse year. I was going through a breakup. You know, friendships were on the rocks. I was um, had paused many of my income streams. And the, and the thing that I realized was that at that point, I had transitioned to a site, JennyBlake.me. And I had had life after college since 2005. So I realized it took my business so close to, to me that if I needed a break, if I needed to take three months off, so my income went with it. And that was very stressful. And just also, I didn't want I don't want a site that revolves around me. <laughs> like in a lot of ways, I'm always happy to share my stories and Pivot has a lot of my personal stories in there. But ultimately, I want to be contributing ideas and frameworks, not just like, hey, this is what I ate today and you should all follow me because of that. <laughs> so um, that's that's what I struggle with is is building sustainable business practices so that, for example, I just launched the book as we're recording this and I spent two weeks in like launch mode, hustle mode, not to mention the three years leading up to it. And then I totally crashed. And I even talk about moving beyond burnout. I'm well aware of burnout. I try and fend it off and get sleep and eat well and exercise and meditate. And still, I was joking to people this week that like the rest monster gobbled me up and my car couch was trying to swallow me whole. And this <laughs> language of like, it just consumed me out of nowhere. And I didn't realize how tired I would be just from the mental release of such a big project. So I think um, what's so hard when yeah. we work towards a big project like that in and this could be a, a wedding that you're planning, a book you're launching, a project at work that we we don't really see the after and that it's hard because it's like a letdown then like we don't realize this is part of like a progression in our life. But like our our whole soul is like so focused on that one moment. And when the moment passes, it's like, well, now I have to wake up again and still do more work. Yeah, it's not... I'm about to record a podcast myself on, on the post-launch pivot uh -huh. point. Yeah. Because 
a lot of, and I, you know, someone asked me before the book was out, but they said, what do you do once you've pivoted? What do you do? And, and some pivots are larger than others, but yeah, exactly. I'm in, and I said this at the launch parties, I said, I am at a pivot point. I have ideas about what's next, but now that this thing, this focus for three years is out, I don't know which of my pilots or experiments are going to take off. I have ideas, but, but honestly, no clue. And the difference is that this time around, I feel totally okay with that. There's no sense of panic or shame or um, even anxiety. I mean, some days are worse than others or better than others. But in general, I feel good. Like, okay, I know the process now. I know how to experiment and look at what's working and double down on that. And and it's all good. And I'm I'm so thankful both to writing the writing process, but also just running my own business now for five and a half years that I can do that because before the anxiety was all consuming. You know, speaking of, of sort of anxiety and those feelings, I, I know that a common struggle for most anyone striving for success is that fear of being wrong, making mistakes or even failing. Um, tell me, what is something that you're not good at and, and how do you deal with that? Well, I got a lot better at delegating <laughs> to ball launching. I tend to, I, I think delegation, there's like, we should get um, belts like in martial arts because I have a team. I have a part-time communications director, right-hand woman, and then a VA team. And so I, I kind of had my white or my yellow belt as far as delegating to them. And then as the launch was happening, I realized I really got to like upskill in this area and delegate even more than I'm comfortable with and push past that point of wanting to hold on to things for myself. And so uh, big projects and big moments, I always say that stress stress is a systems problem. So when I am stressed, I like to look at what is the bottleneck here and how is this stress an indicator of a systems problem? And then I can have some fun troubleshooting. So I would say the system side is what I am good at. And then, and then delegating, letting go. I've learned I am a perfectionist, but I've learned to ship anyway and let things go out imperfect. That's how anything gets done in my, mm -hmm. in my world. I kind of celebrate all the mistakes because it means I, at least I got stuff out there. And then the, the other thing I would say I'm not great at is like this week, the rest monster week. Um, I just how to find that right balance of what to let go of in a week like that and 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 then simultaneously not feel guilty that I'm not getting everything or mm -hmm. taking forever on emails like that I'm behind on my podcast I'm behind on my newsletter like I it's hard I the, in a way I was a bottleneck again this week and so clearly I didn't solve that problem or, or plan ahead even well enough as much as I tried that's all sounds really difficult, especially since things you are the bottleneck, right? Like your your business won't move forward without you sort of putting things in, in motion. It puts a lot of stress also, on you. Yeah. And I, th I mean, I think it's also that to the authenticity piece, I have tons of podcasts in the can. I could have just fired off another one that was already recorded. And yet right now in this moment, it feels important to talk about the post-launch pivot point that we just mentioned. And so instead of releasing something just to get something out, I'm waiting until I have the energy to record that. And the mm. and so it's a trade-off. It's, it's like I make the trade-off. I'd rather have something go out that feels timely and truthful and authentic, but it means that I'm not as consistent as some other podcasters who would never dream of having a week 
that nothing goes out, you know, they would just ship. And so, yeah, that's kind of an example of how that takes precedence in what I do. And I assume that whether it's newsletter readers or podcast listeners, nobody really cares. Like at the end of the day, if the newsletter is a week late, who actually cares? I'm not sure that anybody does. I think you're right that there is this balance between consistency. So people come to sort of depend on you as a, as a source of information and that's why they tune in. They're like, oh yeah, I remember that. I like that. Where if it's too infrequent, they don't remember you. But the one time like hiatus, and I also think, I know some places that some podcasts actually do like a season and then purposely yes. take off a month and then restart. Um, so I, I don't know what I would do in your situation. I think you're right to want to be authentic and respond to the moment. And probably now you have such a, a base that's following you that you know, missing a week isn't, that's not crucial. I'm in the very beginning of this podcast. So to me, I was just telling you before we recorded, like I had to actually do a little bit of work for a couple of episodes ago using less favorable equipment than I would like. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine skipping that week just because of equipment. I had to find a workaround, but I'm also at the building stage. So I think it's different if you've been at it for a while and you've, you've got people who are tuning in. But I'm also yeah. looking forward to hearing you share like the, <laughs> the after pivot moment because that whole like um, the what's next. I think that's really hard when you work really hard at something and everyone says like, well, what now? What, what's next? It's like, oh, my gosh, I just right. I just did this thing, um, you know, to be recognized as a success. That's that's time consuming. Like that the amount of time you just described and that I, I love what you called. What was the monster that like? The rest monster. The rest monster. <laughs> so it, it, it it's, up. and as a solopreneur in particular, I think the blur between work life and home life is probably, you know, there is no, there's no line at all there. With, with all that in mind, what does self-care look like for you? Like you seem very conscious of this, but look, what are you actually doing or striving to do? Well, self-care is a huge priority for me because I quickly realized when I left Google that my body is my business. And if my body is operating at 50% because it's tired or sleep deprived or burnt out, then so is my business. And that, that was unacceptable to me because I care too much about what I'm doing for that. So for example, and by the way, the rest monster is really friendly. He's like a fuzzy Pixar looking guy. He totally means well. It's like not a scary monster. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, you asked me to talk about something I had never talked about. So the rest monster is fresh off the, the today's consciousness. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, so uh, today, I am super behind this week. See also rest monster. And instead of stressing, I still woke up. I made tea. I watched a Netflix show. I then meditated for 20 minutes. I then journaled. I meandered my way through the morning. And didn't rush just because it, it would have been so easy to create a sense of what my friend Julie calls false urgency and to just say, Oh my God, I'm so behind. And the book just launched and I got to keep up with everything and like skip any one of those things. But it helped me start the day in a really grounded way where I am honoring the level of energy that I have. And I got a few things done, certainly not everything. And that's okay. And um, so that's kind of how I, I just, they're non-negotiable for me because I know how much better I feel when I have rest and sleep and meditation and exercise and eating well. Those are, I don't even have to trick myself into doing them. It's more, it's more like 
those are the fundamentals and I build everything on top of that. Is there a habit that you've been struggling to adopt into your life? To adopt? No, but certainly maintaining my exercise routines mm -hmm. while launching and traveling, it, it gets challenged. So in a way, it's just, okay, ninja level time, you know, what, how do you maintain, even if it's not my exact routines, how do I not go into the all or nothing trap where I don't do anything just because I'm traveling. So I have a, I have a really tough time maintaining all that, those routines and practices while I'm traveling. Um, so yeah, just getting better at that's on my mind. Wow. I, I also think that in the pursuit of the career that you've developed, you have met probably hundreds and hundreds of really amazing people and they've and heard their stories and share their stories. And it's both the colleagues you've worked with and it's the people you're meeting now that you've, you've got these books out there. Is there anything you're doing in particular to, to nurture those relationships so that whether they're near or far, you, you feel like there's a connection? It's funny we mentioned our mutual friend, John Corcoran. I, yeah, I don't do any specific networking tools or tactics. Like, you know, we, we joke because I interviewed him for my Momentum community too, but we joked where uh, I respect people that have systems for networking and follow-up and nurturing their and I just don't do it. It just doesn't resonate. I, it's one of these things like uh, marketing in general. It fits the same 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 feeling that I have is I just don't do it. I've never purposely tried to grow my traffic or grow my lists or anything. I just do my work. Um, so my network is the same way. I really trust that I'll connect with people when we're meant to. When they're on my mind, I'll reach out. But I'm definitely a person who probably more people reach out to me than I proactively think to reach out to them. But I really respect people who have systems for it. Because then they, how I roll. Because <laughs> then they think to reach out to you. That's why it works for yeah, you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really wonderful that they do that. I just, I feel the same way about social media, which is if I spent the little energy leftover that I have, like, it's going to drive me crazy if I try and keep up with everyone on Facebook and everything. And I'm, it's embarrassing at times. Like I showed up and I had some high school friends and I think I asked a friend, are you guys going to have kids at any point? She said, our daughter is two. <laughs> I had no idea, but I can't make it my job to like follow up with 2000 people at all times and know what's going on. Or I would have never written this book. And so I, although I feel a little bad, I clearly don't feel bad enough that I make it part of my priority list to like proactively seek out information on as many people as possible. Instead, I just kind of wait until stuff crosses my path. And mm -hmm. again, I, the people who really, who, where it works in each other's lives is that we don't fault each other for that either. And those are the friendships I'm able to maintain where we reach out when we feel like it and remember. And other than that, we don't hold it against each other if one is just doing their own thing. Right. I think that's great for friends. And I think, you know, the, the tip that I've, I've heard um, from this podcast was the idea that when you're traveling, just to like host a happy hour where it's, where it's more casual and that any of your former colleagues or, or fans or anybody who wants to come, like I'm going to be at this one place just to kind of, to rekindle connections, not necessarily that you have to know when they walk in, like you remember everything about them or you double checked everything. The story though about the, the two-year-old is probably going to stick with me. I got to tell you, Jenny. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> I know. I mean, I, so but, I love what you just shared, but as an introverted person, mm. even with a very extroverted looking career, I wouldn't do that. I don't have the energy when I'm traveling and I'm preparing for speaking gig. I just don't even have it in me to organize yeah. a networking event. I might be able to fit in one dinner with one person and that's kind of my desired thing. But it, so even stuff like that, I think sounds like an awesome idea and I don't do it. <laughs> I, I'm so glad you brought you up You can the, slap me on both wrists, Robbie. I know. No, I'm so glad you're talking person. about this. This is great because <laughs> I think you probably are representative of a lot of people who are trying to figure this out. And I also appreciate that you brought in being an introvert because I think that plays in in a way that we're not all talking about. You know, So I'm assuming you mean by that that you get your energy from being by yourself. Like that's how you re recharge. Definitely. And yeah. if other people are involved, I prefer one on one. Mm -hmm. So I would rather go to a city and connect with one friend or mentor or peer, whatever I'm able and go to dinner. And that to me is a successful trip rather than try and organize a catch all networking event where I barely get to talk to anyone. Yeah. And that's I'm an extrovert who would thrive in those environments. And I think it's important to know that about yourself. But then to make the effort to actually line up that dinner, did you just say yes. the word friend tour? Yeah, that's a concept I talk about in the book. I love this. So Dor <laughs> so I'm now going to just give a shout out. Dory Clark is a friend tour. I have never I had a word for her. So I've never had a word for her. <laughs> She's a great friend and definitely a mentor. So thank you for that, Jenny. I'm learning oh, so boy. much from this conversation. Um, I'm so glad. So if you had a chance to go back and talk to your, your younger self when you're like 25 years old, is there one thing in particular that you would encourage yourself to do to build a strong and supportive professional network? Well, I got, I kind of got lucky because working at Google was the most incredible alma mater network that I could have built. So I'm very fortunate for that. That's right around when I was 25. And Honestly, one one mistake I made was not being better about documenting. This is going to sound so weird, but being a systems person, documenting who all I met and connected with at Google. Because when I left the company, I didn't get to take my, you know, I didn't get to export my corporate account and contacts. That just wasn't something I did. So, uh, I, you know, if I had kind of better records, I think that would be cool to just connect with fellow now there's a word for them now zooglers spelled with an x <laughs> and uh that's something i've been meaning to do even in new york is connecting so i think anybody can do that if you enjoyed a previous company that you worked for to just connect with alumni is really powerful because i because i think especially a company like google they put so much effort into hiring a certain type of person so so great the company has already done all the screening <laughs> on on like an awesome crew. So those are great people to keep in touch with. And I think whether someone works at that kind of company or not, it can, that can apply to school, community groups, online groups. But, um, you know, I have a tip that I think I mentioned on this podcast before, but it's worth re-mentioning. Re uh, I just discovered this about a year ago on LinkedIn. Once you're connected to someone under their photo appears three options, notes, tags, and reminder. And you can actually tag somebody and you can put as many tags as you want. It's basically a filter. But Great that is a really tip. nice tip because then once you've met them at this 
job or your school and you you say, okay, let's let it stay connected and you do the whole LinkedIn thing because that's professional. And then you go back in and you tag them and you could even put a little note like what it is, like you want, what you want to remember about them. And you can even put a reminder that you want to check in again in three months or something. Um, that's a kind of very low key sort of system that you already have and it's free. So that's awesome. I go. love it. I'll also share a pro tip that I learned from Ramit Sethi. He has a Gmail tags for different cities. So when he meets someone or they say, well, next time you're in Toronto, let me know. He tags them with a Toronto label. And then when he's traveling to that city, you can click on the city and see who to follow up with. That is so brilliant. And I, I do follow a lot of his stuff. So thank you for that. Yeah. Sure. So, so um, sort of wrapping this up, uh, if, if you and I were to be talking again a year from now and you were telling me at a dinner <laughs> at a dinner <laughs> when Go I'm in New York dinner. or you're in Boston. That's right. <laughs> or when you organize a happy hour in New York when you come through. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, you know what I'll do? I'll be like, Dory, you and I have to organize a dinner together and invite Jenny. Yeah. That's what we do. Perfect. See? Done. Okay. Dory, Check. I hope you're listening. Uh, so if we were to meet a year from now and you were telling me what a great year it's been, what accomplishments would you be celebrating? Mostly that Pivot makes its way in the world as as it is meant to, because I don't know what that looks like. I think books take on a life of their own once they're launched and out in the world. And I'm just excited to see what that is and that my hope for this book to be a success is that when someone reads it, they tell a friend or two. And that by a year from now, it has continued to spread. It's continuing to have life. And the message is getting out there and really helping people. And then, of course, on a personal level, maintaining a sense of, of balance and joy and just loving my work and hopefully having the income to reflect it. So, of course, financial goals are included, but um, all of it kind of singing together in a nice flow. I'm looking forward to having that conversation and celebrating your great success. What are what are the ways that people can find you or follow your work? Uh, the best way to find me, you can go to pivotmethod.com. And uh, we also have, I have a private community called Momentum and Pivot Coaches if anyone wants a boost getting started. And then jennyblake.me and the Pivot Podcast, wherever you listen to casts. And finally, I'm on Twitter at jenny underscore blake. Awesome. I will include links to all of that in the show notes, uh, dear listeners. So don't feel like you have to write it all down right now. Check it out. It'll be at ontheschmooze.com. And I will uh, be sure that you, you get all those details. Jenny, this has been just a wonderful half hour. Thank you so much for, for joining me on the show. Awesome. Thank you so much, Robbie. It's been an honor and huge thanks to everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jenny Blake. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into practice this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. One thing that stood out for me was a point that if change is the only constant, we should get better at it. If that resonated with you, I recommend checking out Pivot, her latest book. Careers are just not linear and predictable ladders anymore. They are fluid trajectories. No matter our age, life stage, bank account balance, or seniority, we are all being asked to navigate career changes much more frequently than in years past. Our economy now demands that we create businesses and careers based on creativity, growth, and impact. 
In this dynamic world of work, the only move that matters is your next one. This book is for anyone searching for an answer to the question, what's next? I provided a link to purchase Pivot in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com, episode 19. Check it out whether you've hit a plateau in your perfect on paper job, are considering taking on a new role in your current job, are thinking about starting your own business, or you want to move into an entirely new industry. One thing remains clear. Your career success depends on your ability to determine your next best move. And if you, like Jenny, really respect people who have a systems for keeping in touch, but you can't manage to prioritize doing it yourself, could you try one of the tips we mentioned in this episode? Because if you're already using LinkedIn, you can start incorporating those tags, notes, and reminders for the contacts you don't want to let slip, or do what Ramit Sethi does and create Gmail tags that help identify which cities people live. Maybe you need to fully commit to a system that takes the guesswork out of staying in touch. I manage my most important relationships and the ones I hope will become significant using Contactually, a robust CRM perfect for managing my professional network. As an affiliate for Contactually, they're offering my listeners a free 30-day trial. No credit card required. Let me know if you sign up for the free trial and I'll help you get set up for success. Visit Contactually.com slash invite slash moves for more details. That's Contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y dot com slash invite slash schmooze. That's S-E-H-M-O-O-Z-E. For your convenience, I'll have the link to the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 19. Well, we've done it again. We've reached the end of another episode. Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze. I want to sincerely thank all of you who've already subscribed and left a rating review on iTunes. By subscribing and leaving a rating review on iTunes, you're helping this podcast get discovered by more listeners. Will you subscribe and leave an honest rating and review? Include your Twitter handle in your review so I can give you a shout out. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. That's schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be sharing tips on what to do during those first 15 minutes at a networking event. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.